If you have a Bible, open up to Genesis chapter 27. Genesis chapter 27. The sermon will be looking at the whole chapter, but we'll only be reading the first several verses there. Uh, I think you all know um, that I'm a grace guy. I love uh, to talk about grace and uh, focus on the grace of the Lord. And I'm not big on rules all the time, even though we know that the Lord's given us rules that we have to obey. But I don't like to have rules, but I do have one. You are not allowed to give one of these in place of a tip. Okay? You can give one of these with a tip, but you cannot give one of these in place of a tip. Okay? And so just know we've got serial numbers on these. And if we find out um, that you've done that, that means that you're going to have to turn in essays on 100 of my sermons. So uh, we want to make sure. No, this is just a simple way where we can bless our community and show love to our community and uh, I, I like you know Woody mentioned putting in this when you pay your bills you can't do this instead of a check when you pay your bills uh, that won't work either so we look forward to loving our community in this way especially as Easter is drawing near if you have your Bibles open there to Genesis chapter uh, 27 once you go ahead and stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God uh, Moses writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us. Beginning verse 1. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. And he said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. And prepare for me delicious food such as I love. And bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we thank you for the blessings you've given us. And Lord, as we see this story that is a challenge to us in so many ways, God, our prayers that we would see the Lord Jesus even in this text of Scripture. It's in His name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Um, there is animosity everywhere you look. I, I, I mean, you, you can't look anywhere without seeing strife all over the place. And sometimes we get sucked into it ourselves. It's, it's hard not to. Everyone's just so angry. And at some point or another, we just think, I guess I should be angry too. Folks are angry on TV, angry on the internet, angry in person. There's just strife everywhere. Some of y'all feel like you've been cooped up for a year because you have, and you're kind of ill about it. People are just angry all the time. You know, people get angry almost over anything, almost anything. Uh, Whitney told me about a Facebook group I needed to join the other day. And so I did, and, and I won't say which one, but if you've been in any of them, you've been in all of them. And, uh, and uh, I said, baby, this is just one more opportunity for me to scroll through and see people griping. Folks just gripe, just love to gripe. Hey, let me just put it like this, and I'm not a psychologist or anything like that or a therapist well you just put it like this if you got mad at arby's this week it's time to evaluate your life <laughs> like if like if you 
Like, if you just said, you know, like, I'm angry about a beef and cheddar, it's, it's time to make some changes. And, and so, I mean, if you got mad about a number one at Chick-fil-A this week, right, Carter? It's time, it's time to evaluate your life. Just take a break. Get some help. Uh, pray some. Yeah, we just, it, it feels like we're constantly getting sucked into anger and sucked into strife and sucked into animosity. And some of you came here this morning and said, thank the Lord I'm at church. And I'm going to get a break from all this animosity and strife. You say, now, Genesis 27, let's dig in. And you get a story like the one we have today. Where it feels like we're in a world of animosity and strife, and you open the pages of the Bible just hoping for a little peace. And guess what you get? More animosity and more strife. You see another set of brothers where fratricide is on the mind. The killing of a brother is on the brain. We're, we're introduced in earnest. The, the lens, the camera of the story of Genesis turns today. There's a brief intermission where we focus on Isaac. And those of you who are reading through Genesis during this time might notice that Isaac, really, of all the patriarchal figures, of all the characters and stories, major characters in the book of Genesis, Isaac really gets the least amount of attention. In fact, he sort of enters the scene bound up and helpless, and he sort of exits the scene helpless and bedridden. He really has one full chapter that's devoted to him, and, and so much of that chapter, as we saw last week, is really devoted to demonstrating the way that he's just continuing on the promises of Abraham. And yet Jacob, Jacob gets a lot of focus. It's Jacob who will, as you probably know, one day be called Israel. The, the, the story of Jacob, the, the arc of what we'll learn about Jacob will show the way that the Lord needed to and the Lord does change his heart and eventually changes his name. But today the picture that we get of Jacob is not a pretty picture. And I think what you're going to learn, and this is something I've tried to help everyone see here, is that as the Bible talks about some of the most prominent figures, in fact, you'll see so often the way that the name of the Lord is given to us is He is the God of who? Of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Isn't that exactly what He tells Moses? I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Lord identifies Himself. And so here we have Jacob. And I thank God for the fact that the Scripture is honest about the sins of even its most prominent characters. I, I want you to see this. I want you to know this. The Bible is not a whitewashed book. And there are folks who want to um, dismiss Christianity who will say, now, y'all talk about biblical marriage or biblical this or biblical that, and I've read the Bible and it's a problem. Well, just because the Bible is describing marriages in a certain way doesn't mean that it wants you to have your marriage that way. In fact, to all of you here today, I would suggest to you today, I would in fact admonish you and say you should only have one wife. There's lots of reasons for that. Not only does the Lord forbid it, but just for practical reasons, I would encourage you, stay away from that. It doesn't work out well from what I've been told. The Scripture doesn't whitewash the history of even its most prominent characters. It, it doesn't try to retroactively sort of, sort of uh, uh, glow up its characters' histories. 
In fact, it's really open and honest. And often, one thing I also appreciate the, about the scriptures is, is the, the author doesn't even ever really try to get in there and distance itself from them. It presents who they are, warts and all, and it's up to you to think through and pray through and understand exactly how you're supposed to understand their legacy according to the rest of the Bible. So this morning, as we begin looking at Jacob, I, I think there are at least three lessons, and we'll certainly focus on three this morning, that we can learn from this story. Now, over and over again, I think the message of Genesis is encouraging us to trust the Lord and His promises. And so I, I want to show you this morning three ways that you can guard your heart from sin by trusting the Lord. The three things I think we can learn from this passage that will help us guard our heart from sin by trusting the Lord. Now, you'll notice what I'm not saying is you need to see what they're doing and not do that. What I'm saying is you need to have faith in the areas they didn't have faith and have faith in the areas they did have faith and trust the Lord in order that by His grace, by His grace, He might establish holiness in your life and help guard your heart. From sin. Three truths, three lessons to learn from this text today. Here's the first. Reject the deceitful heart because God hates sin. God hates sin, so we should reject having a deceitful heart. When you look at the first half of uh, this chapter, uh, chapter 27, uh, you begin to see the way that Isaac is described. He's old, and his eyes were dim so that he could not see. As the text progresses, you'll notice that even when it's time to eat, he doesn't get out of the bed. He has to have the food brought to him. And when he wants to kiss his son, the son has to come to him. Isaac is very old, and he's in very poor health. And it seems as if he's bedridden, he's blind, he's having a hard time. He knows he's soon to die. And so he tells his son Esau to go and to hunt game for him and prepare for him delicious food such as he loves and to bring it to him so that he might eat, that his soul might bless him before he dies. Now, Rebecca obviously is a crafty wife and indeed a crafty mother. And so she's listening. She's eavesdropping as this is happening, we learn in verse 6. And she clues Jacob into what's going on. And so what she does is she hatches a plan for the two of them to work together to trick Isaac, trick his father, to trick her husband. Now, at first, Jacob's a little worried about this. Now, I think once again, we're, we're getting clues here in the text about Jacob's heart. And as you read through the text, I want you to kind of see the way that Moses clues us in about where Jacob's heart is. You notice that he doesn't say, but mother, I, I don't think this would honor the Lord. He, he, he doesn't say, you know, I, I need to walk in the steps of faith of my grandfather Abraham and honor God and honor what God's asked me to do. You notice he doesn't say that. What does he say? Well, if I do this, I might wind up cursed. He's worried about saving his own high. And you'll, you'll see this with Jacob. His name means trickster or deceiver. And so he is sort of a deceiver. He, he's a trickster. And he's really worried about Jacob more than anyone else. But Rebecca, his mother, convinces him. I guess she had a ways of doing that. And she convinced him, said, well, the curse will be on me. And so their plan, as it gets carried out, is almost comical. One old commentator said it at first sight it almost seems like child's play what happens 
Isaac is so easy to fool at this time because of its health, and thankfully the, the author gives us that clue so that we don't just laugh at this scene. Jacob walks in. He's wearing his brother's clothes. He's smooth and his brother's hairy, so they put, the, they put, put goat skins on him, on his hands and on his neck, so he seems to be hairy. And he gives him a bowl of goat instead of a bowl of venison. It's a different food altogether. And so Isaac rightfully is dubious as Jacob comes in. This happened too fast. He wants to check to see if he's hairy. He, he continually has a problem with the voice. He don't sound like Esau. And yet showing the way that Rebekah and Isaac, and especially Rebekah in this case, are so cunning, it's strange to think why a blind man would, would need to be tricked by his son having on his brother's clothes. What, ma- what does it matter if you can't see them? I guess she knew that he would call Aunt Jacob in closely. Call who he thought was Esau in closely. And kiss him on the forehead. And as he did, he took a smell of his clothes. And indeed, it smelled like the soil. It smelled like his son Esau. And there's no way around this reality that what Jacob and Rebekah have done here together is outright deceptive. It's disobedient to the Lord. It's, it's lying. It's bearing false witness. It's wrong. And it's sinful. And there's some things, though, I want you to think about as you think about this story, as you think about this situation. First of all, I, I want you to be reminded, and I've alluded to this already, but it's important for us to know, just because the Bible describes something doesn't mean that the Bible prescribes something. Everything that's being described in the Bible, you ought not to go do. Several years ago, I saw a picture from a, a, a church fellowship hall. And uh, it had a, a, this really beautiful flowers on the big banner in the fellowship hall. And on it, it had a quote from the scriptures. Uh, and it said, Inasmuch as you do it, everything you want will be given to you. Something along those lines. Turns out that's a quote from the devil that they had up in the fellowship hall. So the devil had told Jesus in the wilderness. Now think about that for just a moment. Just because the Bible says something, right, doesn't mean we ought to do it. And just because the Bible has a quote in it, we might want to get the context to know all that's going on. And in this situation, we have a sinful situation being described. And yet what we'll see, though, is the way that Jacob has negative consequences that flow from his deceptive nature for the rest of his life. But what I want you to think about when you think about this is simply this, flee from sin. Uh, Flee from sin. Just just because you see someone being deceptive in the Bible doesn't mean you can be deceptive. In fact, I think these examples are given to us as warnings. And you see the way the New Testament so often picks these things up and warns us about the sinful nature of our own hearts. I hope and pray that you will flee from sin. Don't think for a moment that just because someone in the Bible did something means it's okay for you to do it. In fact, so often the opposite is the case. I hope you'll look and see the way that it was only by God's grace that Jacob's sin didn't come back down on his head. He was wise to consider that he might find himself cursed because of this situation. But I want you to know particularly the sin of deception is something that's easy for us to commit in the world today. We, we live in a world where folks feel okay playing fast and loose with the truth. 
In fact, I, th- I don't think we care so much if things are true anymore so much as we care whether or not they seem true or, or whether or not they appear to be true to us. And some of us are so obsessed with the evil and wickedness of other people that we're willing to be dishonest and deceitful about them just to expose what we perceive as their worst sins. But the Lord doesn't want you to use sin to fight sin. Do you understand that? That, that, That's not what God's asking you to do. And, And I think what we have to recognize is that though Rebecca and Isaac are so self centered, nonetheless, the Lord still has a plan. The Lord still has a plan. But just because you see them being sinful doesn't mean you ought to be sinful. I think it ought to also be a warning to us all that if people who seem so near to the Lord, He is the God of who? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If Jacob can act like that, don't you think you can act like that too? Doesn't it give us all the more reason to be on guard against sin in our own hearts? I hope it does. Second of all, Second of all, here's another truth I hope you'll take home today. Take heart, because God is in control. take, Take heart. God is in control. Now, this might be the time. I I don't know where all of you are in your journey with the Lord. Some of you are watching online later. Some of you are watching on television. Some of you are watching live online. And, And some of you may have just come in this morning just looking for answers in general. And this might be the place where you decide, I'm not so sure about the Bible. If this is the background, I'm hoping to become a better person. And this doesn't seem like a good book to learn how to be a better person because of what I'm seeing here so far. However, I want you to know something. Just because sin is surrounding us, and just because we see sin happening... And just because the Bible details sins that happen, that doesn't mean that God isn't in control. I I want you to know something about what what Moses did as he wrote this book to help us understand what's going on. Back in chapter 25, the, the Lord, before Jacob or Esau were ever born, the Lord said that he was going to establish Jacob as the one through whom the promise would be named, that the seed and line of Abraham would ultimately be traced through Jacob. And it's according to God's grace that that happens because it's very strange for the older brother to eventually serve the younger brother. That's not how things were done. And yet God was taking this younger one and establishing him even over the older one. Not according to what they had done, but according to God's purpose of grace. And so Moses intentionally, I would say, highlighted this for us to give us an understanding of all the things that are happening in this narrative so, so that we don't have to get too down on everything because we recognize with all the sin and the sordidness and the strife and the intrigue that's going on in this family, nonetheless, God is at work according to His own purposes in the middle of it all. In all of these sinful things, and all these sinful actions, God is still at work. And that's a theme that we'll see trace out throughout the book of Genesis. Listen to what Isaac says to Jacob once the deed has been done. His father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. Verse 27, So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. 
Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Even in the midst of a sinful plan, God's plan stands. God is still at work. And you see the way that these machinations work out for good, even though that doesn't discount the sin that's happening in the meantime. Some of you right now are disheartened by the sin you see around you. You're discouraged by what you're seeing. Sin in the world at large, the sin maybe around you, maybe there's someone in your family or someone you love who's in a pattern of sin. And listen, there's a reason why the Lord Jesus warns Christians about being judgmental. It's because it's easy for Christians to be judgmental. Might as well just own it and recognize it. It's easy for us to be judgmental. I was talking to a friend about that over the weekend, how looking back in my life, oftentimes so much of my regrets in ministry and my life and everything else are sins of me being more judgmental than I should have been. Some of us are disheartened by sin. Some of us are even disheartened today about the sin in our own hearts. Maybe you are experiencing some victory by faith over sin, that the Lord had given you grace in this moment, and this you had a weak moment recently. You had a tough situation recently, and it drove you back to your sin. Nathan alluded to this earlier, but it's a good reminder for all of us, the sin that we ought to take the most seriously is our own. When you talk about other people's sin, and whether they know it or not, but you're not actually weeping and broken over your own sin, you do come across as shrill and judgmental toward others. It doesn't come across like sin is something you actually care about. It seems like all you really want to do is meddle in their business. And that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we take our own sin seriously, though, people can see the way that our hearts are broken because God's heart is broken over sin. And so we take sin seriously, but we must at the same time trust that even in the midst of sinfulness, God is at work. And if God can work in the life of Jacob despite his sin, if God can do these things and work in this way despite the sin of both Jacob and Esau, then surely to goodness God can work in your life. Have you ever thought that maybe the, the more sin there is around us, the more of an opportunity it is for us as Christians? Maybe that's exactly why God put us here and now. Take heart. Take heart. Don't be discouraged. Trust the Lord. God is in control. God is at work, and He's been at work for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. In fact, He spoke the very world into existence, and the Bible tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ upholds the world by the word of His power. There's no amount of sin that can overcome the Lord Jesus and His gospel. He says that He will triumph over the gates of hell themselves. God is in control. God is at work, and God will establish His own purposes. Trust Him. Take heart. God's at work. But finally, watch your heart. God offers forgiveness. Just at the very moment, the Bible says, the very moment that Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father. And Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. The whole thing just about came crashing down. And I don't know, the Bible doesn't ex explicitly say this, but I, I've got a pretty good guess on who would win in a fight. There's a reason why Jacob runs away, not Esau. And so this big, hairy, strong hunter of a man comes in, 
barely misses his conniving brother. And he had prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to, my, to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. And the slow burn of the heartache of the passage, you can start to feel yourself. The agony, the sadness, the turmoil. As it dawns on Isaac what happened, the Bible says that he begins to to tremble greatly, the Scripture says. Esau cries out, the Bible says, with a great and bitter cry when it dawns on him what has happened, that he's not only lost his birthright, but also his blessing. Bless me! Even me also. Oh, my father. Esau cries out. It'd be embarrassing to all of us here, I think, if I were to even try to express the bitterness that this text shows. And so Esau loses both the birthright and the blessing. He, he loses these things because he doesn't see the work of God in the life of his family the way he should. And so he gives it all up for a bowl of stew. And the author of Hebrews tells us that, that both of these things were connected in such a way that though Isaac wanted to give the blessing to Esau, God in his sovereignty made it so that he did not receive it. And listen to what the author of Hebrews tells us about this story. He says that Esau is a warning to all of us. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. See, see to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. That is, he sought the blessing with tears. Do you see what a sad story this is about Esau? And though his father and though the Lord blessed him in different ways, nonetheless, he, he wasn't identified with what seemed to be his natural right. He rejected the opportunity to repent. He rejected the opportunity to be holy. And the Bible, throughout the Old Testament, identifies Esau and his people with ungodliness. As you read through the Old Testament, anytime you hear of Edom or the Edomites, those are the descendants of Esau. And he found no opportunity, the Bible says, to repent. But my friends, I want you to watch your own hearts. Because forgiveness is available for you. It may have been like that for Esau, but today it's not like that for you. In fact, that's exactly the point the author of Hebrews is trying to make. He, he wants to make sure that none of you, none of you, wind up like Esau. Today, I want you to know that grace is offered to you freely through Jesus Christ. In fact, when you look back at this story and you see what God is doing, God is establishing Jacob and Jacob's descendants. And we're going to learn about one of Jacob's descendants named Judah, who eventually will lead to the Lord Jesus Christ, the lion, the Bible says, of the tribe of Judah. And you're going to learn things about all these people in the background of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Christ who were desperately wicked. And yet God was preserving them and showing grace to them in order that he might bring his son into the world, in order that he might show grace to all of us. And today, though Esau did not repent, the same does not have to be true of you. Because God established and preserved Jacob and his line in order that all who believed might come to him freely through Christ. God has you a story here of the faith of Abraham so that you can know and the the faith of Isaac and ultimately the faith of Jacob because they trusted God and trusted his promises and the Lord preserved his word for you in this way. The Bible teaches us in order that you might know the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he came into the world to save sinners. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Now, I want you to think about that. He doesn't merely tolerate you as a sinner. He's a friend to you as a sinner. Won't you trust him today? Won't you put your trust and faith in Jesus? Won't you turn from the sin that so easily ensnares you and put your trust and faith in Jesus who will deliver you from your sins? Don't you see the way that you've got so much of Esau in, so much of Jacob in you, and yet today perfect forgiveness is offered in Christ? I wish you would. If you're a sinner here in need of a Savior, I wish you would put your trust and faith in Jesus. If, if you're a Christian who needs to repent of sins and trust the Lord more, I, I pray that you'll turn to Him today. And finally, if you're looking for a church home, my hope and my prayer is that you'll obey the Lord and where He's leading you. And perhaps that's right here at a First Baptist Church. Oh, would you put your faith and trust in Jesus today? I hope and pray that you will. After this prayer, I want to invite you to do business with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for His gospel. And God, we thank you for this opportunity we have to gather together in worship with your people here at First Baptist Church. And Lord, I pray that we would respond to you in faith and respond to what we've heard in your word today in faith. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.